on the lines of what Joshua was talking about, how he's learning how to receive the love of God. That is pretty much the, the whole heart behind today's message um, is I want to help you guys understand how to be loved by God. A lot of us have problems, issues uh, when it comes to receiving the love of God for us. We've had so many terrible experiences with imperfect love and imperfect people and imperfect relationships where love was corrupted along the way and we were given a bad taste in our mouth of what love is. And, and then we come to God and we project that onto him and it's very hard for us to receive the love of God. Some of us are, have a hard time receiving the love of God because we don't feel worthy. We don't feel deserving of it. And, and on some level, that is true. I'm not inherently deserving of the love of God, but he loves me nonetheless and, and gives that as, as a gift of grace. Some of us have a hard time receiving the love of God because we're so terrified of messing it up and ruining it and screwing this whole relationship up. And so we'd rather not put ourselves out there and be open to his love. We'd rather just kind of walk on eggshells with our head, you know, down, always beating ourselves up because uh, we're not willing to open ourselves up to receive the beautiful love of God. And so when it comes to walking in life and purpose and satisfaction and fulfillment, the abundant life God has for us is found in receiving his love and walking in his love, in being able to be loved. That's what it means, uh, at least when I, when I look at the word beloved, as believers, we are beloved of God. We looked at that in the last message. Uh, part of what that means when you break up the beef and the loved is that, that includes learning how to be someone who is loved by God. Not in terms of trying to make myself loved by God, but actually functioning as someone who's in, loved by God. And so we looked at the word beloved. It means someone who is deeply, divinely loved by God, esteemed, favored, chosen, dear one, one who has a personal, intimate relationship with God and experience of his love. All of those different characteristics, you know, come uh, surround this idea of someone who is beloved of God. And so in the first you know, message, we talked about the fact that we are beloved. This is a series called Beloved, and it falls under this broader category of identity in Christ and what it means to be believers. Who are we? Who does God make us? Why are we who we are in Christ? You know, all these different questions that surround identity. That's what we're unpacking in a general sense. But what I wanted to do was bring more precision and have a sub-series that addresses what it means to be beloved. And so we looked at what it means that we are beloved, and today we're going to talk about how do we live as beloved children of God? How do we be people who are loved by God? How do we receive the love of God without letting shame or condemnation or sin or past experiences and trauma getting in the way of that? And so, you know, in episode three, next week, we'll talk about the love of God outlined in scripture from Genesis to Revelation as best as I can give. Um, and then the last message in this series will be about uh, why and how God loves us um, or why and how God loves his children differently than the world. There's a lot of confusion, I think, around that surrounds that idea. Does God love the world? Because it says he does, and yet he loves us. What makes that special? There's a difference. There's a big difference. Okay? So for those of you that do have a very difficult time enjoying the love of God for you, you have a very difficult time receiving that. You put up your own walls. Uh, you put up your own, you know, self-imposed limitations that keep you from really walking in the fullness of his love. Wherever you're at on the spectrum, you're terrified of ruining it, so you'd rather not actually put yourself out there and know his love. Wherever you're at, the first thing we need to understand is that we are loved by God. And that sounds like the most basic kindergarten Christian truth. But we got to start somewhere. You are valued. You are cherished. You are wanted by God. 
That's what it means to be beloved, is there's a preciousness. There's a, God treats you as a dear chosen one, a favored, highly esteemed one, where you're precious in his sight, you're cherished, you're wanted by the creator of the universe, by the king of the entire universe. And so being valued by God, we're going to look at Romans chapter 1, verse 7, 1 Thessalonians, but I got to put this up front. Being loved or valued by God, I want to say valued, being valued by God is very different than being inherently valuable. A lot of us hear, hey, you're loved by God, you're valued by God, and something inside of our human nature goes, yes, obviously, because I'm fill in the blank. There are the people that are very prideful and you think you deserve the love of God. And if he doesn't love you, there's something wrong with God because you're awesome. And then there's people on the other side of the spectrum that go, I, I can't, I, I can't really, really, really believe that. I mean, I know it's true, but man, I have a hard time believing that because I know how unworthy I am. So this is going to address both extremes. Those of you that feel so unworthy of the love of God that you can't receive it. And those of you that feel deserving of the love of God and it makes you feel entitled to it. Being valued by God is inherently different than being, uh, or is different than being inherently valuable. In other words, the value of the object is not inherent to itself. When we say that God loves us or values us, we're not saying the value comes from within. We're saying the value comes from outside and is assigned to us. And so the value that God, uh, you know, deems us worthy of and gives us, it's externally decided outside of the object, you know, by someone who has the authority to determine the value of that thing. And so that, that's what I want to make clear. If I was not clear in the last episode, we talked about how we're chosen, loved and wanted and valued by God. And, and I, I know that there's two extremes that people can, can run to, but I really want you to know that we're valued by God, not because I am inherently valuable, but because someone outside of me that has the authority and the power to d decide something's value. He decided that my value is what it is. And he gave his only son and his son gave his life. So that, that, that's, that's how you balance these things. Uh, Romans chapter one, verse seven, because we never want to become, feel entitled to the love of God and treat his love with contempt and almost all this disdain where we look at his love uh, through this lens of pride. Like I deserve that. I'm entitled to it. Look at me on the man. But we also don't want to get into this place of not being able to walk in the love of God because you're so sin focused, because you're so focused on your past and, and failures and mistakes that God has actually freed you and forgiven you of. Romans chapter one, verse seven, it says to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Now we could spend a lot of time unpacking the the connection between being loved by God and being saints, called to be saints. So there's a lifestyle attached to that. There's a kind of life expected for someone who is loved by God. But that's all I want to show you in Romans 1, 7, because we have a lot of scripture to cover. I want you to think about that. You are, when you look in the mirror, when you think about who you are, you are loved by God. It's not just an action done to you. It's something that is true uh, to the core of who you are. First Thessalonians 1, 4, it says, for we know brothers loved by God, these chosen. So the people in Thessalonica who've given their life to Christ who are children of God, Paul refers to them as brothers loved by God. There's a unique place in the family, in the heart of God for his children. 
And it's different than the world. The way that God loves and values and, and, you know, expresses his love for the world is different than the way he, he expresses love for his people and that place in his heart. So we are, we are what we're loved by God. If you can get to that place in your life, in your uh, mental ascent, where you come to the place where you can settle on that, the fact that I am loved by God, that that revelation grows over time, that you come to know that better each day as you just enjoy God and your relationship with him. So that's not something you master or fully realize yet. For some of you, this is the first time it's starting to click for you. And this is just God opening the door for you to walk through on this journey called exploring and understanding his love in a deeper way. That's what God desires for us, is that we would know and understand the profound divine love he has for us. And if you get to that place where you start to see how valuable his love is, you become like David where he says, no, when you taste and see that the Lord is good, like you, you really do want more. Second Thessalonians 2.16, it says, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and, and good hope through grace, may he comfort your heart and establish them in every good work and word. And so I don't think I have to spend a lot of time going through scripture showing you, no, God really loves you because that is... Uh, that is supposed to be an essential component of our Christian faith. That should be a part of every message, even if conviction and correction and discipline and exhortation come alongside that, it's always packaged with the love of God. It's always alongside the love of God. So we should be familiar with this. And if we're not, um, I don't know what to say, just that you should seek to know his love better because that's who we are. When you understand that we are loved by God, forever um it's a beautiful reality that you can walk in and enjoy it's hot in here so i'm gonna give me a sec i need a van shouldn't come through too much i don't think it's gonna be super so we we are loved by god we're beloved of god that's true we spent a lot of time talking about that in the last message but i just wanted to you know make that clear up front so Everything else we say today is built on that reality that we're loved by God. Um, so when I talk about the fact that some of us have a very, very hard time receiving the love of God because of, you know, you know, memories or relationships in the past or struggles we've had with parents and earning their love and trying to get them to notice and love us, all these different, you know, issues that surround our relationship with love. Okay. We begin to project that onto God as if those things are true of him and he's going to why are you treating me uh, as if the way I love you is exactly like your father's love on earth or your sister's love or your girlfriend's love? It's fundamentally different. But part of being loved by God means I'm enjoying and walking in his love. That means there, there are some things I need to teach you today um, that when I, when I say like, learn how to receive the love of God, you can go into psychology, you can have counseling, you can have therapy. We can go through childhood trauma and say, that is not who God is. But there, there's also not just something I mentally have to ascend to. There's also some clear instructions laid on the scripture on what it looks like to be someone or operate as someone who is loved by God. So this is more addressing the lifestyle. If you're loved by God, if you're beloved of the Father, there's a way of life that's expected. There's an appropriate way of living for someone who is loved by God. And if you walk this way, you begin to enjoy 
and 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 really uh, understand even more the love of God for your life. And so it's not, well, do I need to live as someone who is loved or do I need to know his love better? It's both. As I do what I'm about to lay out for you in scripture, as I do this, I'm functioning as someone who is loved by God. I'm living as someone who is truly loved by God. I'm, I'm actually showing the world with my life that I am loved by God. And whether they're convinced or not, my lifestyle should scream. I am loved and saved and redeemed and forgiven by the creator of the universe. So there's a way of life for, for people who are actually children of God. There's an expected way of life. If you want to be someone who is, you know, living as loved by God, there's some things you need to know. And as you do that, the love of God for you becomes more apparent, becomes more valuable. And it, there's just a lot of language in scripture that talks about keep yourself on the love of God, abide in my love. And that's not speaking to salvation or you know righteousness. That's speaking to the actual experience of his love every day. There's a lot of Christians and maybe you're it. There's a lot of believers who are loved by God. You're chosen, you're sanctified, you're redeemed, you're righteous. You're, you're everything he, this, he's, he's said you are. And yet every single day of your life, you don't actually like, I don't know, walk in the beautiful reality of that love. And so you're, you're grasping for something or someone to make you feel loved when God's going, if you just, if you just do what I've called you to, if you live the way I've, I've commanded you to, it's going to result in a fuller, more abundant life that is rooted in knowing and being satisfied by his love. So we are loved by God with a purpose. That's what I want to make clear. This is more about the purpose for which God has loved us and also my reasonable response. What is the appropriate response to the infinite, perfect love of God that he bestows upon us? Well, what's the appropriate response to looking at Jesus who laid down his life, paid our debt, who died our death, who filled the law, who gave himself up, who allowed himself to be condemned to a cross and murdered at the hands of the people that he created? What's the appropriate response to that kind of sacrificial love? And this is the appropriate response. We are loved by God to sing his praise and to come approach him in worship. So this isn't God loving you to say, hey, the only reason I'm loving you is so you give me something I lack. This is, this is God saying, hey, when I love you, right, here's the appropriate expression of thankfulness for that love. Here's the appropriate response. Here's how you effectively enjoy that love and get to know that love more and walk and experience that love. Psalm 63, verse three, it says, because your steadfast love is better than life. It's just like, that's what we agree on, Psalms. Like, can we, can we talk for a minute? Who told you the love of God is better than life? Because there's a lot of believers that have yet to come to that conclusion. You read that and go, haven't yet arrived at that. Like, I'll be honest. I have yet to come to a place where I can truly look at my life circumstances and look at me. And look at everything that surrounds my world and go, you know what? The love of God is better than life itself. Better than just existing. Better than just, you know, being alive. Better than all that this world can offer. You, 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 you take the sum total of all human existence 
and all the beautiful stuff that comes attached to that in this world. And the psalmist is going, yeah, the love of God is better than that. This isn't to say there's a, there's a reality where you are loved but not living. This is actually uh, bringing life and love, uh, colliding the two ideas and saying that, look, because your steadfast love is better than life, that's weirdly enough, that's actually the place where, where abundant life is found. Not temporary, uh, fading life that is in this world, but eternal, abundant life. Think of the tree of life in the garden. That love is found in the steadfast love of God. That, that actually becomes the life essence of the believer is the love of God for us. How does God bring life up from the grave for his people? Well, his son chose to die and out of death came life. But that, that sacrificial death was rooted in and motivated by a profound love for people, perfect love for people. So it starts with grace is what motivates God to love in such a way. That love drives him to come and lay down his life. And then from that life comes up from the grave for us. So this, I, I don't want people to be confused and go, so is, is God telling me to choose to, to end my life? Or be? No, what he's saying is, the sum total of, of all the years you could have here on earth in the most, you know, paint the perfect fantasy, uh, monetarily, health-wise, relationally, uh, you know, safety-wise, paint the perfect picture of life and times that, that the fullest life here on earth is still infinitely less than being loved by God. The steadfast love of God itself is better than living outside of that. Which again is not saying there's a, there's a, there's a condition of, of existing where you're loved but not alive. The love of God is actually what really brings us to life. That becomes the life force of the believer. Is that he loves and from that place of love comes life. Abundant life through our faith in him. In his sacrificial death and love for us. So because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So it goes like this. If you were to construct this a little differently grammatically it would say my lips will praise you because your steadfast love is better than life so the psalmist has gotten to a place and this is what this is what it means to be loved by god is i sing his praise is i i don't hold back my lips from declaring the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the power of god in my life and the miracles that are breaking out and the salvation he's brought and the love he's bestowed upon me and my lips aren't holding all of that praise back. I'm letting it out. So part of being someone or functioning as someone who is loved by God means I praise God for his tremendous love. I don't hold back my praise and worship. I let it out. That's the reasonable response to love. The love that God has shown us, at least, is pure worship and praise. Psalm 5-7, it says, But I, through the abundance of of your steadfast love will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. I want you to see the connection between the fear of God and the steadfast love of God. You see, you got a lot of people in Christian church that talk about, yeah, God loves you. There's no fear of God attached to that. The, the, the kind of love they have in mind ex excuses sin. The kind of love they're preaching allows for sin in one's life allows for someone to live in darkness, allows for people to live in rebellion to God. It makes no sense. Because here the psalmist connects the abundant love of God with the fear of God. 
This is why the kindness of God leads to repentance. Because the kindness of God is seen clearest in his love for us. And so when God loves, the appropriate response is not to, to, to cower in terror and to be horrified of what he's going to do. That's not the kind of fear that the biblical authors are given us to, to understand. The kind of fear of God we're supposed to understand is reverence, respect, a profound standing in awe of his holiness and obedience, a trembling, a holy, reverential, loving trembling. There's something about the love of God that actually will move a person to appropriately fear him more. So if your understanding of God's love doesn't move you to fear him more in a healthy, reverential, respectful kind of way, I don't, I don't know how to quite, you know, bridge that gap for you. But I would say read scripture a little more and pray over what you're reading and ask God to clarify and correct your misunderstanding of his love. Because love does not enable someone to live in what's killing them. Love calls people out. Not, of, uh, not just out of what dishonors God and defames his name, but calling them out of what's killing them. So the psalmist says, through the abundance of your steadfast love. This is how God reveals his name to Moses on Mount Sinai. He goes, the Lord, the Lord, a God who is, you know, uh, abounding in steadfast love. Meaning there's more than enough. There's so much that anyone can have a taste and be satisfied by the abundance of God's steadfast, which means faithful, loyal, committed love. So, so notice what the psalmist says. He goes, through that love you have for me, God, I'm going to enter your house. Now, of course, at the time of this writing, you have the temple, or at least, no, not yet. You have the tabernacle, right? And so the holy place of God's dwelling among the nation of Israel was in the tabernacle. I don't remember if, that, if it's at Shiloh or... Or when, you know, this is being written. Uh, this might even be after David's, you know, past. Because it says, to the choir master for the flute, a psalm of David. Um, maybe it is. Okay, so David is actually the one who wrote this. So the temple's not yet, you know, built. Solomon's going to do that. But the idea still stands that he's approaching the house of God. That being, you know, where the Ark of the Covenant is. Is I'll bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. So what we have here is a bowing down, a worshiping, and approaching God, not on the basis of my own inherent righteousness, not because of all the good works I've done. I don't come to God with all my obedience and all the good stuff I can lay at his feet and go, here's why I can come before you. The psalmist is saying, the only reason I'm able to come before you and what motivates me to come before you is your love for me. This beautiful love, which we'll see in Psalm 51, that actually covers the sins of those who are repentant and confess and ask for forgiveness, God gives it. And so David can confidently approach God and worship and praise and fear him appropriately because God's love for him is enough for that to happen. So when, it, when, it, when I say we are made to be loved by God, we're now made in, through Christ as new creation. We're made to approach him through his love. So, you know, when you think about the offerings and the sacrifices the nation of Israel used to bring, you know, the priesthood of the Levites, um, you know, to the, to the temple or the tabernacle, they would bring a gift. And that gift became the means by which they could approach God. You wouldn't come empty-handed. The psalmist is almost seeing the love of God as God's gift to us that allows us to approach him. 
Now, if you actually re- read the Levitical law and all the priesthood, you know, commands and sacrifices, you'll see that God has gifted Israel with the ability to approach him through the sacrifices. So less, it's less about Israel bringing a gift God needs and more about God giving them a gift in the form of the sacrificial system so that through that animal, they can actually come and be near to the presence of God, but nowhere near the way we are near to him now. And so the love of God is seen like that from the psalmist's perspective. So we, as those who are loved by God, we worship, we sing his praise by his love as those who are loved by God. That's a better way to say it. So many of us praise and worship God as people who are like questioning whether we're loved by God. But to be confident, to stand in a place where you're so assured and you're so certain and you're so confident of the love of God, to stand there and worship and praise the King in that place of security changes things. That's what we're called to. We're called to love and worship God, not on the basis of my own religious efforts, not by my own obedience and good works I'm bringing. So if I bring enough, I can worship and come before you. This is by your love for me, I can come to you. And I'm going to approach you in holy reverential fear as someone who's accepted and wanted here. How many of you pray and sing and worship and come to God as people who aren't really wanted? There's, there's a mentality we all bring when we approach the throne. There's always a, a kind of thinking we bring when we approach God in prayer or worship or praise, whatever it is. The way we should be approaching God as children is we're coming to you as children you want, as children you value and cherish and delight in and love so deeply that you loved us while we were still sinners. How much more, how much more you love us now that we are in Christ in terms of favoring us and esteeming us and choosing us for the blessings you have. So the means by which we worship and pray is we come to him as people who are loved, not people who are trying to earn or gain his love. You already have it. So be loved by God. Psalm 59, 17, it says, Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. I love the different ways that a lot of the Psalms will address God. The different names, the different ways of referring to him, almost to sum God up in one of his characteristics, not in totality, but to say like, you are my strength. You are my life. You are my joy. So he goes, oh, my strength, I'll sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress. The God who shows me steadfast love. Does God show, like, does God show the kind of love the culture and the world system shows us? No. The kind of love God shows us is faithful, loyal, steadfast, committed. And that love that the psalmist is enjoying and just just basking in, that kind of love is actually what he runs to as a fortress. If you read the text, he calls God his strength. In what way is God his strength contextually? Well, the strength to protect and be a fortress to David or whoever wrote this psalm. To the choir master according to the mictem of David. Okay, so you got David writing this. The point is, 
But when he refers to God as his strength, his fortress, his protection, his strong shelter, the way he's referring to God in that fashion is referring to his, his steadfast love. In other words, the love of God for David becomes this fortress, becomes the means by which God extends his strength to David. It's through his love for David. So we are to be people who are loved by God by running to his love as our safe place, as our sanctuary, as our fortress, as our shelter. At the place, the first place that comes to mind when your life is a living hell and you can't escape it, the first place that comes to mind that you think that's my safe space, that's supposed to be the love of God. When all hell is breaking loose and your life couldn't be worse, at least from your vantage point, and you're going, I can't run to a physical location. I can't escape this. Maybe it's a health problem. Maybe it's a cancer diagnosis. Maybe it's continual financial, you know, struggle, barely being able to have enough food to even, you know, get through the week. Whatever the struggle and the circumstances and the difficulty and the storm is, we're supposed to view God as our fortress, but more specifically, it's taking refuge in the love he has for us. And if you're not convinced, I have a lot more passages to expand on that idea. But I want to get back to the praise and worship, okay? Because he sings praise to God because he's loved by God. You might say it like this. David is so secure and safe in the love God has for him that he can just freely sing the praises of God. Whether there's arrows flying at his face, whether there's spears flying at his face, which both happen. He can sing the praises of God as someone who is spiritually and eternally secure and safe and confident, not in his efforts, not in his obedience, not in his good works, not in, in his own inherent righteousness, but in the love God has for him. So to be people who are loved by God means I look to the love of God as my safe sanctuary, as my place of refuge as the place that I run to. And very practically, what that means is when, when everything sucks, when everything sucks, just terrible, I just, you know what, God? I'm going to choose to recall the love you have for me, the love you've shown for me. I'm going to remember that love and I'm going to let you plant peace and joy and confidence in my heart as I recall the love you have, the love you've promised, the love you've shown, that love becomes the means by which we endure struggle. Psalm 92 verse 2 says, I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. This is not unprovoked, by the way. There's a reason. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. You can confidently praise God, you can confidently worship Him wherever you are, in whatever mental space you're at, in whatever your life circumstances are, in whatever your health condition is, you can worship God and sing His praise anytime. Not just because He's worthy, not just because He deserves it, not just because He's made a way for you to, but because you are safe and secure in His love to effectively sing His praise. There's a lot of Old Testament passages that speak to God destroying the enemies of Israel so that they can safely 
worship God. In other words, part of the reason God clears the nations out is, yes, as judgment against their sin. Yes, it is actually the wrath of God justly earned by their rebellion continually. But it's also, hey, I want my people to be safe and secure and be able to worship me without fear. So I'm going to remove all the threats to that. That's what God has done for us. That's what he's done for us spiritually. Sin, death, the devil, the grave, all the forces of darkness, everyone that is against God. You sum all that up. God has handled all of that so that you can find a safe haven in his love to worship him all day, every day. For you've been to me a refuge, a fortress in the day of my distress. There's no reason for a fortress or a refuge unless there's something to run from. Does that make sense? Without distress, without turmoil, without trouble, a fortress and a refuge doesn't really, uh, or I'll say it like this, without the potential. It doesn't have to be the actual reality. of Without the potential for the danger and the distress, there's no reason for the fortress and refuge to be there. So God is not just a fortress um, away from trouble. That's not the context. He's a refuge in the trouble. So you don't have to wait for your life to look a certain way for you to effectively praise God and go, because some of you do that. So some of us do that. I'll put myself in the equation. We go, I will worship God once this financial turmoil settles. I will worship and praise and go to church and get my butt in that pew and actually praise you in my prayer closet once you heal this disease in my daughter. And we almost put conditions on God, timelines on him, and go, you will do this. And when you do, then I can worship you. And God's going, no. You can worship me and you should worship and praise me now, not just because I'm worthy, but because it's what's best for you when you recall the steadfast love of God and find a safe place. in Life ain't going to ease up forever. If you're in a season of life is great, life is good, really good. If that's, if that's your life right now, fantastic. It ain't going to last forever. If your life is a living hell right now, everything, everything is going wrong. It's not going to stay that way forever. So life is ever changing. Circumstances of life change so suddenly. So suddenly. And some of you know that really well. Because of that, in all circumstances, I can choose to recall what is ultimate reality. I am loved by God in this moment. And I'm not waiting for a set of circumstances to worship him. I can be someone who is loved by him right now. Let the Lord love you by running into his love as a refuge. However that makes sense to you, do it. Worship, the meditation of the scriptures, shutting everything down, putting your kids on the couch, all five of them, put on some, you know, if you give a mouse a cookie, if you know what I mean, just let them sit there, go in your closet and go, in a place, in a space where the love of God is my ultimate focus. It's from that place that you can be a fantastic parent, a fantastic spouse, a fantastic just child of God. It's from that place you can go and function and live as someone who's loved. Well, you first have to have a revelation of his love. So we're loved by God to praise and sing his 
his, his, his praises and you know, come to worship him. We're also left by God to trust and hope in that love. And this is what I said earlier, but I didn't have all the scriptures up front that I do now. Psalm 33, 18. This is, behold, I, the Lord, is on those who fear him, him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive. And God's eye being on people here means he delivers their soul. He keeps them alive. That is for a particular person, the person who fears God. Notice, though, fearing God here seems to be paired with or possibly defined as hoping in his steadfast love. So you and I all have, we all have hopes. We're all hoping for something. We're hoping for healing. We're hoping for a spouse. We're hoping for financial breakthrough. We're hoping for a new car to get us to and from work so our feet can take a break. We're hoping for our children to come back to God. We're, we're hoping for a change in career. We're hoping for our grades to turn out, I, you know, good so that we can get into the college. We're all hoping in something. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's success. Maybe you're hoping in, in your, your social media platform and you're following. And you're hoping that you can get money from that. We all hope in something. You're hoping in the next video game. You're hoping in the next season to come out on Netflix. Everyone has invested their hope into something. But to hope in the steadfast love of God, that's not wishful thinking. The Hebrew word for hope is not wishful thinking. It's not Pinocchio wishing, wishing upon a star. Okay. It's actually um, eager expectation rooted in assurance. That's the best way I can explain it. To hope in the steadfast love of God means I'm eagerly expectant of the fact that he loves me and how that's going to be expressed in my life. I'm certain that I'm loved by him in this moment. Right. And it's, there's, the, there's an assurance that's, that's connected to all that. I am absolutely assured of God's love for me in this moment and also how it will be expressed in, this, in the future that God loves me. And so running into his love, hoping in his love, letting that, the love of God, be your ultimate hope in all circumstances. That's part of what it means to fear the Lord. It's part of what it means to fear the Lord. It's not just to turn from evil, but to turn from evil to the love of God as your hope, as your refuge, as your safe place and sanctuary. Some of you treat sin like it's your safe place. Things get tense in your marriage. You run to X, Y, and Z. Finances are really, really getting tight. You're emotionally distraught. You don't know how to deal with the mental stress and the anxiety and the worry. You run to fill in the blank, whatever sin that is. What you run to for a sense of refreshing, for a sense of reassurance, for a sense of security, that is what you hope it. And I'm telling you, as people who are loved by God, there should be no greater priority. There's no better safe place to run to. Mentally, spiritually, physically, like go lock yourself in a room and sit in the love of God, meditate on scriptures that remind you of his love, meditate on the steadfast, loyal love of God in your life. That's what people who are loved by God should do. Psalm 13, 5, it says, but I've trusted in your steadfast love. 
my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Is this present salvation or is this a future hope of salvation that's connected to the reassurance that I'm loved by God? I'm so loved by him. So I know the salvation God's going to bring me is only because he loves me. The point here is that the psalmist trusts in. It's, it's another way of saying hoping in. When you sit on a chair, you might not want to explain it this way, but you are hoping, believing that that chair is going to hold your weight up. That's why you sit on it. That's why you rest in it. Because you trust that that chair can actually support you. That's what we do with the love of God. Is we look to his love for us, which assumes you know his love well enough to actually do this. And if you don't, you grow in a knowledge of his love. You seek him in his word. You say, God, teach me your love. But this is what it means to be people who are loved by God. Is we actually lean the full weight of our life and our eternity on his love for us. You ever seen someone trust fall and the person didn't catch him? That's theirs. God won't do that. The love God has for you can catch you billions and billions of just lean on him fully. Trust in his love for you. Not in his hand to accomplish a miracle. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about God's going to do X, Y, and Z in my life. This is God loves me. And how he expresses that love is his decision. How that love flows into my life and the best possible, you know, scenario in my life to express that love, that's up to his will. But I'm still going to trust in the love of God for me. When all hell breaks loose, when everything sucks, when I don't even want to live anymore, I trust in not my emotions, not my feelings, not the culture. I trust in one thing. God loves me. And that actually becomes a source of joy. That's part of what it means to hope and trust in something is you look to that thing as a source of joy. You look to that thing to fulfill you. You look to that thing to actually, you know, give you a sense of Freshing security, that's what God's love is presented as doing in Scripture. Psalm 31, 7, it says, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. Because you've seen my affliction, you've known the distress of my soul, and you've not delivered me into the hand of the enemy, you've set my feet in a broad place. The psalmist here is recalling how God has loved him. This is a very practical way to run to God's love as a refuge as your sanctuary, as your safe place of peace, is you think about all the ways he's expressed and proven his love for you. Boom, boom, family, finances, hell, childhood trauma, sin, addiction, breaking me out, saving me, forgiving me, bringing me into a godly marriage, giving me children when I was barren, all these different things. You go, you love me here, 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 here. The best thing you can do every day. If you're like, I want to live as someone who's loved. I want to receive the love of God. Recall and remember the love of God. That's your responsibility. You choose what you're going to meditate on. It's your choice. You don't choose what thoughts come into your head. You choose what you do with them. And so when it comes to the love of God, you can choose to meditate on that, to think through it, to delight in it. And guess what? The psalmist says, I'm going to rejoice in that. I'm going to let your love produce joy in me as I recall how faithful you've been to me. Because you're going to see that the love of Christ is supposed to compel and control our lives. 
that's not going to happen if you don't have a daily discipline and a daily um, pattern of remembering the love of God throughout your day. That, that's easily the gold of this message for those of you that want practical tips. It's do that. It's all day, every day, wherever you are, in whatever circumstance, in everything. Recall the love of God for you. Rehearse and remember the love he has for you. It's the best thing you can do. Psalm 36 verse 7, it says, How precious, precious is your steadfast love, O God. How precious is your steadfast love. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. That's what I'm talking about. Not that God actually has wings like bird. The idea is the way baby birds find safety and security under the protection of their mother. That's the idea. Is I, I'm, not, I'm not saying your life is going to look exactly the way you want. It's going to be perfect and nothing's going to go wrong. What I'm saying is, you know that's probably going to happen, but you're confident of something better. You're confident of something um, much more true, something that's ultimate reality, which is he loves me. Yes, life is going to have some terrible moments. Yes, I'm going to endure things that I wish I wouldn't go through. But those things are going to end. Those things will last forever. You know what will last forever? Is the love of God. How precious is the steadfast love of God. This is also what happens when you, when you live as someone who is loved by God and you start to find a sense of joy and, and, and delight in his love. You start to look at his love as precious. You start to look at his love as precious. How you qualify the love of God matters so much. But I can't change your perspective and tell you, look at his love as precious. You have to get to that realization yourself by sitting with him and walking with him and seeking him long enough for him to show you that his love is indeed precious. You have to experience it yourself. I, I can't give you that. The children of mankind take refuge. That's the idea. Notice how the psalmist connects running to God as a refuge with being with treating his love as precious. It's God protecting you that is an expression of his love. And knowing that he loves me causes me to treat his love as precious and look to his love as precious. Number four, we're loved by God to be satisfied by his love. Through constant remembrance, this is what I've been saying over and over, Psalm 90, 14. We've been in the Psalms a lot because the psalmist has a lot to say about the love of God. It says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. The psalmist just wants to rejoice and be glad all day. And he's going, so Lord, I'm looking to you to satisfy us at the core of our being, in the deepest parts of who we are, spiritually satisfy. Satisfy us. How does God satisfy with his love. There's something satisfying about knowing and being loved by God. Knowing the love of God changes things. 
it will change everything. When you get to a place where you can recall the love of God continually and you go, I'm actually, because what we're doing when we look to sin is we're looking for satisfaction. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers. So we're looking for sin to give us what it promised, never fulfills, never satisfies. We're looking money, influence, following, reputation, sex, relationships, drugs, whatever it is, you're looking for a kind of, however you qualify that, a degree of satisfaction and never delivers, always temporary. The love that God has for us is not temporary satisfaction. And it's not even just physical. It's deep. At the core of who you are, the deepest level of who you are, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, even physically, the love of God was satisfied. We're going to continue unpacking this after quick commercial. If you've not already done this, go to AboveReproachMinistry.com. We have a bunch of free resources that are made available to anyone around the world, completely free and accessible to anyone who wants to learn how to read the Bible. We have free online Bible study courses that will teach you how to read the Bible. We have free study devotionals that walk you through specific patterns and keywords in the book of Ephesians. We have free Bible study worksheets. We have Bible study workshops. We have all this free content because of generous supporters like you guys. And if you want to support this ministry, we're teaching people how to read the Bible so they can live and teach the Bible themselves. And there are a bunch of ways to donate. You can go to AboveReproachMinistry.com slash donate. You can give through debit or credit card. You can send a check to P.O. Box 338, uh, Green Cove Springs. You can give through PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, Patreon. And then you can also get some church merch. If you've not already grabbed some church merch, I would recommend you do that so you can represent Jesus on your body. And all the proceeds go right back into this content so that we can reach more people and equip people to, you know, live and teach the Bible themselves. And if you didn't know this, I actually have a book. I've published a book. It's called Fruitful. And the point of this book is to be a resource to the church to teach people um, the essential keys for the most abundant Christian life this side of heaven. And so in this book, what I do is I, I outline the gospel absolutely clearly <laughs> so you can actually know what the foundational truth is. And then from there, we discover what our purpose is, what our process is, and what our position is now in Christ. So if you are a new believer, or if you're a believer that really wants to understand what I believe are the essential key truths that a lot of people don't understand in the church, I would grab a copy. And if you haven't already joined our online church, get in that online church. We have a lot of cool stuff happening, events every single day, pretty much. Uh, we're in there praying and fellowshipping and gathering and growing together as a community. And the last thing is this. If you haven't already checked out our podcast, uh, we have podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else where you can get a podcast. And pretty much all the content on YouTube, the live streams, what we do is we um, make that into podcast format so you guys can just listen on the go. So go check that out if you have not already. And let's get back to the video. Okay, so what it means to be satisfied by the love of God. Psalm 107 verse 31. That means you're looking to God's love for satisfaction. And some of us don't do that. We actually don't look to God's love as the primary and, and should be the only, really, form of deep soul-level satisfaction. We don't anticipate that his love will expect that. God has given us permission to expect that his love will actually satisfy us in a way that nothing else can because we're made to be satisfied by his love. It says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. In other words, 
there's such an overflow of satisfaction. You're so deeply satisfied by, by being loved by God that you can just thank God for all of his wondrous words, for all the ways he expresses his love to people. He begin to thank and worship and praise so that now worship and praise is not something you do to attain anything. It's just the natural, organic overflow of being satisfied by God's love. Psalm 143, verse 8, it says, Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. So there's a desire in the morning, early in the morning. Notice, it's, he actually puts a specific time marker on that. The psalmist says, in the morning, let me hear of your steadfast love, because I trust in you. In other words, part of what it means to trust in God or be people who are loved by him is the first thing on my mind when I wake up as best as I can. If I, if I don't know how to do this yet, I learn to. I, I discipline myself to get to this point. I create a pattern where I start to wake up and go, before I do anything, I'm looking to your love to satisfy me here in this place right now. Remind me of your love before I do anything with my day. Because I want my life to be lived from a place of being satisfied by the love you have for me. That's what it means to be someone or to live as people who are loved by God. If you don't need anything else, in all, in all truth, we don't need anything else. If God does nothing else for us, the rest of our temporary human life here on earth, he's still worth. And we still have more than enough, more reason than we ever could, more reason to be satisfied than if he had done anything else. So God can do things in your life. It's not like you have more reason to be satisfied because it's his love that satisfies you. It's his love that satisfies. Um, Mighty Sarlacc, I need to address you because you're causing. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. There's nothing wrong with being open-minded. This is not the forum for that. This is like you standing up in the middle of a church service and yelling when the pastor has prepared a message and worked tirelessly for a week to give value to his people and you're just interrupting. Don't do that. There's a place and time for that. Now is not the time. Does that make sense? We're all open-minded. We're willing to hear you out. This is not the time. You can take that elsewhere. You can come back when this is the forum for that. We do have live streams where that's open. Not today. Isaiah 63 verse 7. It says, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all the Lord has granted to us. And the great goodness to the house of Israel that he's granted them according to his compassion. Watch this. All that God grants to the people of Israel, it's according to or it's because of the abundance of his steadfast love. So God has such abundant love that it overflows into the lives of people and it's expressed in all that he grants and does for them. And the psalmist is going, I just, I just want to recount that. I just want to remember and rehearse all the ways that God has loved me and people I know in the world at large and history. I want to recall those times because that's what gets us through everything. There's nothing else that is unchanging. Heaven and earth will pass away. We're going to have new creation. Our bodies are going to be done away with. You won't always have the amount of money you have. You won't always be as healthy as you are. You won't always have the body you have. And it won't always function the way it does currently. You won't always have the same people around you forever. You won't always have the influence you have, the impact you're having on culture. 
you won't always have the knowledge and, and the skill set that you have. Meant you could kick it. We just don't know. It's nothing else is certain, eternally concrete, the way that God's love is. So if I'm going to build my life on something, it should be built on something that doesn't change with the ever-changing culture and world I'm a part of. And here's where we get into the more doing, and I, and I say that hesitantly, but this is actually something that is a responsibility for the people of God. For those of you that find it hard to receive God's love, you find it difficult to, to meditate on his love. You're afraid, you're, you feel condemned and ashamed, unworthy, undeserving. Maybe you're entitled, whatever it is. We talked about how we're loved by God. We're loved by God to sing his praise. We're loved by God to trust in his love. We're loved by him to be satisfied with his love. And part of being people who are loved by God is number five. We're loved by God to apply in that love. The question becomes, how do I, how do I abide in God's love? Through obedience. John 15, 9 and 10, it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now, some people have mistakenly made abide in my love equate to stay saved or abide in the righteousness and salvation I offer. None of that is a part of this conversation. It's very simply the beautiful, almost tangible experience of God's love for us on a daily basis. I choose whether or not I come under the beautiful waterfall of God's love pouring over me or whether I step out from underneath. It's my choice. The way that you come under the experience of God's love in your life, where you see it, you're walking in it, you're fulfilled by it, you're satisfied by it, you find security in it, you're confident because of his love. The way you abide in the love of God, he says in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. Now, of course, we know the greatest commandments are love God, love people. Yeah. First, first John and John chapter six or seven will tell us this is the commandment of God, or this is the, the, the work of God that you believe. And so it's firstly, the command of God, the commandment, main commandment is to believe in a son for righteousness, for salvation as your only savior and redeemer and king to look and trust, to look to and trust in him for salvation. From that place, the two main commandments that touch every other commandment are going to be love God and love people from that place of believing, I will go and do that. So part of the way that I remain in this, this uh, constant experience of God's love flowing into my life and I'm enjoying and I'm experiencing, I'm being satisfied by it, it does require us to walk in obedience. So if you're like, I don't, this is, this is what I get a lot. I got this a lot in youth ministry. I just don't feel God's love. I just don't feel like he loves me. I don't see, I don't, I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't go on and on. I don't feel God's love. And I, I'm not belittling or minimizing it. I, I've heard it so much. It becomes this, this, this almost noisy gong where it's like, if people just were taught right, they would understand that this isn't the only reason we don't experience or feel the love of God in life. This isn't the only reason, but it's a main reason. Are you walking in obedience to the Father? If you're not, then there is going to be conviction. There is going to be that sense of healthy, holy guilt, not condemnation or shame, not separation, not punishment or penalty, but conviction. There's consequences. There's that rift in the intimacy you have with the Father. Sin in, 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 interrupts that. 
sin invades that beautiful space you have with God, it, it ruins it. It doesn't rob you of your relationship in terms of you're not saved anymore and you're not a Christian. What it does is that when you're walking in obedience and you're walking in the light and you're just doing what God says in, in as many areas of your life as you can, you're just, I'm trying to follow you, Lord. I'm trying to obey you. I'm trying to honor your name. You're walking in his love because his love is outlined by his commands. This is why God says, look, do what I say so you can stay in this safe space called being satisfied and secure in my love for you. If you step out of that, why would you expect the, to be satisfied and secure in God's love when you're walking contrary to his love? You're going against the current of his love. Instead of just being moved by it and enjoying it, you're fighting against it. You go, I don't want to wait till I'm married to have sex, or I don't want to stop smoking this, or I don't want to fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. So when people go, I just don't feel the love of God, a lot of the times I've discovered it's because they're not walking with him. Of course you're going to feel distant. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes your emotions are actually a reflection of what's going on in all reality. Your, your, your emotions are speaking truthfully to your condition at the moment. You're not walking in the light. You're not walking in love. You're not walking in obedience. That's why conviction comes. That's why there's this feeling of, for some reason, I feel like I'm distant. Like God hasn't left me, but there's almost like this wall that you are building through sin. So if you don't think sin can build a wall between you, of course he's still there. Of course you're still his. But if you don't think you can build a wall between you and, your, and, and God and, and, and interrupt that intimacy with sin, you're sorely mistaken. Sin does do that. Not on an eternal, you know, infinite scale like Adam and Eve in that, in that garden where they sinned and they're cut off in exile. Oh, it sucks. But now there is this, you know what? If I choose to walk out of step with the Spirit, I'm going to feel it. And part of the way I might feel it is by what I might call, I don't feel the love of God present. That's sweet. We've had those moments. We've had those moments where we're like, I'm just so um, aware of God's love, so satisfied. There's just that, that, that sweet, I'm going to call it the flow state. It's technically a term that someone else has already coined, but this, the Christian flow state where you're just, you're so in tune with the leading of the Spirit. You're so aware of his nearness and his presence. And then all of a sudden, you, you find yourself out of that, or at least you realize you're out of it. Maybe for, for 10 days, you didn't realize it, but you've been wandering, and finally it clicked after 10 days, and you're going, what happened? Maybe. Maybe. This isn't the only reason. Maybe it's because you're not walking in step with his commandments. I shouldn't expect to... I'll say it like this, with my own son. When my son doesn't listen to me and he disobeys me like he does, I don't love him less. I don't want him less. You know what I mean? I, he's still my son. I love him. I, I'm, I'm proud of him. But you know what I'm not? I'm not approving of his actions. I'm not pleased with his actions. He's going to feel that. He's going to feel that. There will be consequences for the action. There will be me expressing 
my frustration and my displeasure with his actions in the form of words, whatever consequence here comes. In that same way, you and I need to understand that there is, God can express displeasure with your actions, with your lifestyle, not with you as his child, as at the core, but with what you're doing and how you're living. God can express displeasure towards those things. And it can be in the form of um, you not enjoying and experiencing the sweet, you know, the sweetness of his love. That's a very possible, um, very possible reality. It's a very possible um, scenario that's happened. So what I want you to think about is where in your life are you potentially, potentially not walking in step with the spirit of God? And is that maybe, sorry, I had to change music. It was bothering me. Where is that? How is that maybe influencing your interpretation of whether or not God's love is flowing into your life? Because sometimes, and I want to pause here because obedience is so important. We talk about love and it's always to the neglect of holiness and obedience. So I don't, I don't want to do that. What I want to do is, is, is help you understand that there's a, there's a balance between these things. Loving God and walking in obedience, being satisfied by his love. There's a, there's a balance to this. Sometimes our emotions and our feelings are, um, you know, falsely, uh, are false. I'll just say false. They're not true. They're not actually reflecting the truth of my life. Sometimes, though, emotions can be a healthy and accurate indication of what's going on. So we have to discern through that. And I'm just saying for those that are like, I just don't feel the love of God. I don't feel close. I wonder where in your life, maybe you're aware or you're unaware of um, how your life is out of sync with his commands for you and his will for you. I just have seen it. I've seen it in people. I've seen it in scripture. I've seen it in my own life. Um, and God is gracious to discipline and train and correct us out of that because he does want us to just stay in that sweet spot of being loved or enjoying his love for us. Yeah, I'll tell you what you can't do, okay? Probably going to come for me in the comments. Okay. You can't enjoy the love of God while living in sin. It's impossible. It's not possible. Because the love of God directly contradicts sin. The love of God goes against... Is the music better? Christian? The love of God goes against... Um, sin it's not aligned with sin so if you're living a life that is in direct contradiction to the love of god for you by not walking in holiness in obedience i shouldn't expect to uh, in, enjoy the love of god in that moment because i'm walking contrary to that love and so of course god does love even through and in the midst of sin and failure but um, this is why people, we find ourselves in and out or in and out of like this sweet experience of God's love. So here's what I want to show you. Jude chapter one, Jude chapter one, verse 20. It should be loud. It's like really quiet on my end. Can you hear it still? That's weird. Hold on. 
it should be real. I, I can't even hear it. Very loud on your end. Okay, you can't even hear my voice. How about now? That's weird. Hmm. I'll have to look at that later. Probably technical difficulties. Um, it hasn't changed. Is it better now? On our end, the music is the same level of your voice. Yeah, it shouldn't be. That's weird. Is it off now? Man, I've been talking. Now it's off. Yeah, I need to be. I need to figure that out later because it was quieter earlier. I wonder if shifting scenes changed it. But um, all I was saying to catch you guys up is that um, we can't expect to enjoy the love of God in disobedience. It's just not possible because enjoying the love of God means we're walking uh, in step with His Spirit and we're walking. Um, according to his commandments. And I said this earlier, but if I didn't make it clear, the commandments of God actually outline um, outline what it means to walk in his love. That's what his commandments are there for. So I don't know why the music all of a sudden got super loud. I'll have to look back at this later, but um, at least it's off now. I'll figure it out. Jude one twenty it says, but you beloved, and this is, pay attention to the language he uses, but you beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in this whole praying in the Holy Spirit, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And he describes it as waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Hmm. I mean, we could break this down for a long time, but I want to show you just this part right here. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith. What that includes is praying in the Holy Spirit, which some have interpreted to be tongues. I don't believe so. It seems like a random idea to bring up that seems completely out of place. Nonetheless, building yourselves up in your most holy faith means keeping yourselves in the love of God. So this is why I said the love of God for his people is always available. It's always flowing. But I step in and out of that love when I walk outside of his commandments. And so when, when I find myself going uh, against the, the will of God for my life and against his commands and I step out of sync with his spirit, outside of the commandments of God, don't expect the love of God experientially to be there. So the way we keep ourselves in the love of God is what he said in John 15, abide in my love by walking in my commandments. So if, if you want the, the best way I can explain it is if you want the fullest level of satisfaction, the fullest level of being uh, deeply satisfied by the love of God, that's going to require you to walk in obedience. So like the closer you are to God, the more you're walking in line with his commandments for your life, the more sweet and enjoyable of an experience You'll, you'll have of his love. I've yet to meet someone, as far as my memory goes, I've never met anyone that was able to enjoy the love of God in the midst of living in sin. Those are two completely opposite things um, that do not go together. So keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's part of, that's another way of explaining how it looks like to walk in the commandments of God and walking in holiness and living righteous. 
is you're actually anticipating the coming of Jesus so much so that you're living like it. You're living like it. So have mercy on those who doubt. He'll go on to talk about the practical ways uh, to wait for Jesus and to look to him. But um, the love of God should shift our perspective onto eternity. When you're like in that place of, um, I don't know, being satisfied by God's love, there's an eternal perspective that comes along with that. There's an eternal perspective that comes with that. I think I realized why the music was overriding my voice. It's because the mic was having issues, but I think it just cleared up. Praise God. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says, The love of Christ controls us. This is what Paul says. This isn't necessarily like what I always live as or what you always live as. This is just Paul talking as an apostle. The love of Christ controls us because we've concluded that one has died for all. And therefore, all have died. So, you and I wonder, how is Paul able to say something like that, man? Love of Christ controls us? That's not always true for me. It can become more true of you. That's what it means to be someone who's loved by God, is that his love has so captivated me that it now actually controls my way of life. Not in a robotic, you've been programmed kind of situation, but in a way where you're going, I so value this love that it's touching every area and every decision of my life. That's what God desires of his people is that we would be so conscious of his love for us, so mindful of his love throughout our day that it actually moves us, that it actually dictates the decisions we make and and influence the way that we conduct ourselves, the way we speak, where we go, The love of Christ should control the people of God. That's what it means to be loved by God. Is his love is with a purpose. He loves us so that we would go and reflect that love to people. But some of us have such a hard time doing that because we have a very hard time receiving the love of God or or so uh, uneducated, you might say, on the love of God that we have nothing to really give people. We're not yet versed in what the love of God looks like or how that, you know, functions in our life. And so we don't have much to give. That's usually true of, you know, more uh, newer believers. Ephesians 5, 2, it says, Therefore be imitators of God. Now watch what he says. As beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And so, there's so many things I want to say about this, but I need, I don't have a lot of time. If we are loved by God, which we are 100%, then for the rest of my life, as much as I can, I'm going to try and live in and walk in the love he has for me. What that means is we're going to imitate the love of God by giving that love away, often sacrificially like Jesus. Because that's often a huge way of showing love is through well, Jesus' love is sacrificial love, self-giving. I'm going to say it like that because sacrificial can like get people all confused. Self-giving. I'm giving of myself in, 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 a, in a kind of way, giving of myself my own time, giving of my own resources, giving of my own ability and skill set and, and energy, whatever it is. If we're going to walk in the love of God and be controlled by the love of God, um, then we're going to have to know his love first. 
This is what it means to be people who are loved by God, is that even the world would look on. And as much as they hate or disagree, they would have to admit, yeah, it pisses us off, but they walk in love, man. That's the truth. That should be true of believers. Now, how you define love matters, which is what we're going to do in the next, um, in the next sermon, which will be Monday. Colossians 3.14, it says, above all these, put on, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So what does it mean to be people or live as people who are loved by God? We're putting on love like a garment. I'm daily choosing to meditate on his love and say, God, like, clothe me in that. Cover me in that. Fill me with that. Control me with that love. Because apparently that binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, just to recap, in case the music ruined a quarter of that sermon, we're loved by God, number one. Number two, we're loved by God to sing his praise and worship him. Number three, we're loved by God to trust in his love like a sanctuary in a safe place. Number four, we're loved by God to be um, satisfied with that love. Number five, we're loved by God to abide in his love through obedience. And number six, we're loved to be controlled by that love. And the last thing is this. We're actually loved by God to grow in the knowledge of his love. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, and we'll end here. This is what it means to be people who are loved by God, is we're so captivated by his love, we want more. Like the psalmist says, we've tasted and seen that the Lord is indeed good. He's good, he's good, he's good. And I want more. It says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, depth, all these different dimensions, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So the love of Christ here, it actually goes beyond human knowledge. And yet, he prays that we would comprehend that love that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So how does Paul equate the fullness of God um, or what does he equate it with? He equates it with knowing the love of Jesus, being rooted and grounded in that love. There should be an active pursuit. Like when police are actively pursuing someone, there should be as believers who are loved by God to live as people who are loved by God, we should be actively pursuing a greater understanding of God's love for us. We should want more. We should not be content with the degree to which we understand his love now. That doesn't mean we're not thankful. That means I know there's more, so I'm going to go after it. And so we're loved by God to grow in a knowledge of his love. That's, those are the, the biggest takeaways from this, is that being loved by God is, is, means there's a kind of way of life. There's a way of life that's expected. And if you want to enjoy the love of God and be satisfied by the love of God, that's going to look like, and, and possibly even start with, we'll start backwards, growing in the knowledge of his love so that you can be controlled by his love, abiding in his love through obedience, because you can't enjoy the love of God while living in sin. It's going to look like being satisfied by his love, looking to his love as a means to satisfy you, going, Lord, satisfy me by your love. It's going to look like trusting in his love and, and you run to his love like a shelter. Whenever things get hard and things are overwhelming, 
You don't turn to the, the bottle. You don't turn to whatever it is you've turned to for the last number of years that you have. You turn to his love and go, your love is my safe place. Your love is my safe place. And we're loved by God to sing his praise. That's what it's going to look like. Sometimes. That's why I gave no specific order. Sometimes what it's going to look like for you to enjoy the love of God first is going to be you worshiping and praising him. Even though nothing looks like the way you want in life and everything looks terrible and you wish it'd be better, you're choosing in this moment, I can still praise you and worship you because I know what is ultimate reality. And in that, a lot of times when you choose to praise and worship, when you don't feel like it, that's when this experience of God's love starts to well up in you. However you qualify that, however you measure that, I think we all measure that a little differently, whether it's through comfort or encouragement or strength or perspective or just this security and confidence or just like, I'm good, I'm satisfied. I, I delight in your love. That starts to happen often when you choose to praise, when you choose to worship, even when you don't think you have a reason to. All right. That is what it means to be people who are loved by God. And I apologize that the music kind of, for some reason, kicked up and can't expect all the technical things to go right, which ironically I did. I expected everything to go off without any kind of problems. And I was wrong. But what we're going to talk about Monday is what the love of God is in Scripture. I know some of you are thinking, I, and even I'm thinking, like, oh, maybe I should have started with that first. But I'm actually glad I didn't. Because I think starting with the fact that we're loved and living as loved people is going to become even more clear after the fact um, when we establish what God's love is in Scripture. And I know you all have ideas. We all have like understandings, proper understandings of God's love. And some of us have improper understandings of God's love. Whatever, whatever we're bringing to the table, just be open to learning and growing and um, letting God teach you. Letting God teach you. So yeah, run to his love. If there's anything you take away, run to the love of God. And if you didn't already know this, hopefully this comes through on, on my side. There's no te technical difficulty. This is an online ministry. And uh, AboveReproachMinistry.com is where you can find all of your needs in life. All the um, solutions, rather, to your needs in life, not all your needs. And so you can go. Let me actually do this real quick. I want to show you guys this. You can go right here to free stuff if you haven't already done that. Um, or click the link in the description below. Um, and you can find all the links, whether it's the links to all our free stuff. We have free devotional studies, free online Bible study courses, free Bible study worksheets, free sermon notes, all the stuff that I could possibly give. Um, you can give, you can join our online church, which is awesome. You can check out our beliefs, our mission. You can get a copy of my book. You can get some merch. You can check out our podcast, which by the way, all of these messages, maybe not this one because the music got a little high and you need to listen to that. But Usually all the messages end up on podcast, and we also have a second podcast called Above Reproach Church Podcast. It's for the local church, for people who are just wanting to grow um, and function, I guess, better in the local church and be, a, um, I don't know, an effective part, a useful component in the, in the local church. So go check that out. 
I think I nailed everything. And there's a chance we'll do a live Q&A tomorrow. I'm not sure yet because there's some lightning storms out here. And that might have been, I doubt that's the reason the music kicked up, but I need to listen back and figure it out. Nonetheless, I had a great time with you guys today. I pray you took something away. Let me know in the comments what you took away today. We always start with what's God teaching you. Let's have some time of reflection. Let's have some time of reflection. As we close today out, I want you guys to let me know in the chat what really stood out to you, what you learned, what really hit you. Um, because moving forward, that could help me to nail down what I should talk about when we address the love of God. Um, so I'm not going to remove the video. I'll just, you'll just have to work through the loud portion or I'll have, I'll have to edit that out or whatever it may be. That's so weird, man. Because on my end, it was, it was almost dead quiet. I was confused. But let me know in the chat. I'll sit here until I see at least someone share what they took away. Uh, amen to the statement of praising and worshiping him when we don't feel like it. To do so changes our perspective, Jeff. Yes, that's what I really wanted to get across is that sometimes when you're like, I don't feel the love of God, I fill in the blank. It's sometimes the way into a greater enjoyment of God's love. It starts with praising and worshiping nonetheless. Uh, Mara says, I really came to a realization that sin puts a wall between us and God. Yeah, and how you uh, explain that is so important too. Some people take that too far as if to say, you know, my sin, I don't know, takes me out of relationship with him or uh, reverts me back to an enemy of what, however they explain that. And so I'm, I'm always careful to go, no, it's just that I haven't yet found a helpful analogy for that. I can think right now, you know, I don't know. It's like my son, he's a good example, but he's my son. And let's say he jumps in a pool. No, that's a stupid analogy. No, I'll figure it out. Thank you for teaching. Amen. Yeah, you're welcome. I, that's why I'm here. But yeah, I'll go listen back at, on this video and edit whatever parts out. So keep letting me know what you guys think about today's message. And I'm going to compile that information and meditate on it as I think about the next message for. Um, this series. All right. That's all I have for you guys today. And I'll see you guys later. You guys keep moving towards Jesus. It's always a sign off. You know it. <laughs>